Thank you, Lord, for mercy. Thank you that it's new every morning because we need it. And it's new every evening because we meet in the evening and we need your mercy tonight. So thank you. Thank you for being here, being present. We invite you to speak, that we would hear from you, God. May your word come alive, loud and clear. Give us soft hearts to receive your truth, God. Give us minds to be able to comprehend your truth. Give us ears to hear what you are saying and hearts that are willing to obey, to be transformed. Thank you, God. Amen. Doing good? All right. I'm doing better than I was earlier. Just uh, being in the presence of God, singing his word, man, that is nice. Um, So last time, uh, about two weeks ago, uh, Michael gave us a very strong challenge to be people that are immersed in God's word, all of it. And uh, the the real uh, money quote for me anyway was he said, every time you open the word, it should change you. And I love that because, uh, you know, we can read the Bible to um, kind of learn some do's and don'ts if we have a more legalistic bent. We can read it out of curiosity to understand what happened back then, or we can read it like a philosopher, just try to check out some new ideas, you know. But the way to know and to really read God's word is to open it up and say, I want to meet you. I want to know you, you know. God is self-revealed, and he is self-revealed through his word. So when we look towards word, and, and it should be a transforming experience. Corinthians tells us that as we look to him, we are transformed into his image. And so every time we look to God's word, you know, it's going to point out things in us that don't really look like God, right? And we're like, mm, you know, but that's an opportunity for us to soften our hearts and bend and repent and come to him. So we should be transformed by the Word of God. And we need the whole Word of God, the whole counsel, not just our favorite passages read over and over, not just the coffee mug and refrigerator scriptures. We need the whole counsel of God. And that's part of the reason why we're doing this reading plan. And we're alternating, you know, one month in the New Testament, then a month in the Old Testament, because we want to see the whole big picture. And um, Mike hit on this last time, too, that we need God to open our minds to understand the Old Testament. You know, when I was a brand new Christian, um, a, a smarter than me man sat me down. And he said, here's what you want to do, Brian. Start with the Gospel of John, because that really gives you a picture of who Jesus is. You need to start there. So start with the Gospel of John, then we'll build out from there, you know. But that worked way better than, you know, if you read, like, if you just start in Genesis, and, like, by the time you're in Numbers, you're like, what's going on? I don't get it, right? But... As we grow in the knowledge of God, then those Old Testament passages start to make more sense. God is opening up our mind to understand. And ultimately, what we want to understand is that even though the Bible is a multitude, many books by many authors compiled over centuries, it is one story with one overall theme of God's redemptive mission that ultimately was fulfilled at the cross and will be ultimately fulfilled when Jesus returns. There is one thread and one story, and everything in the Old Testament, including the Psalms, is pointing us to know Jesus and to understand him more fully. That's the way we want to do it. And so, uh, really, in order to fully comprehend the gospel truth in the New Testament, 
we have to read the Old Testament because we've got to get the backstory, right? That's, that's how the stage was set for Jesus coming and fulfilling his mission. Now, the Bible, as we go through our reading plan, we're going to touch on many different styles. The Bible has many um, literary styles, and each has its own unique purpose. We have uh, historical narratives. So in the Old Testament, there's kings and chronicles and books that are just telling us kind of a chronological history of things that happen, and that's, you know, giving us the story, what, what has happened, and that's good. In the New Testament, Acts would be one of the better chronological stories. It just gives a, a historical narrative. We have the law, you know, and, and the Old Testament law is hard to read sometimes, but really what it does is it ultimately points us to our complete helpless state outside of a Savior rescuing us, our complete inability to be righteous and be holy before a holy God. We can't do it, and the law really makes that clear, and Paul says that in the New Testament. We have practical instruction, Old Testament books like Proverbs. We have New Testament books like James, just how to live. How do I live with integrity before God and before man? We have uh, prophecy, books like Isaiah, Daniel, Ezekiel in the Old Testament, and in New Testament, Revelation. And um, prophecy is a bit hard to understand, but kind of my, if I were to summarize it, to me, it, it's kind of like the curtain gets pulled back a little bit, right? I mean, we kind of live, we're, we're a natural being, but there's things going on in a spiritual realm that we don't see, and the prophetic gives us a little glimpse behind the curtain of other things that we're not really aware of. But there, there's a whole spiritual dimension. There's angels, there's demons, there's God just doing things behind the scenes. But they're playing out here in this earth. But uh, prophecy kind of gives us a peek behind. And we're going to get into one of those in uh, April in Isaiah. And um, so we've got that coming. We've got books of doctrine, you know, Hebrews and Romans that just tell us what do we believe and why do we believe it. And now we come to tonight's topic. So what book in the Bible has the most chapters? Psalms. What Old Testament book is quoted more than any other in the New Testament? Psalms. There's at least 68 direct references, direct quotes of Psalms in, in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus quoted Psalms on the cross. The apostles quoted Psalms as soon as Jesus departed, and they're like, it's on us. They went to the Psalms, right? So what are the Psalms? Well, the Psalms are primarily a book of prayers. And, um, you know, for the people at the time of the New Testament uh, being written, uh, it was a common prayer book, so to speak. So we have prayers like the Serenity Prayer and the Lord's Prayer and things that we are kind of familiar with. And many of the Psalms were that for the Jewish people. They it was their book of prayer. Um, many of them were put to music, so it was kind of their hymnal, too, and we did that tonight. We had a couple of psalms, uh, uh, words just taken directly out of psalms and, and put to music that we were singing together, so it was kind of a hymnal. Um, but the style of the psalms is poetry, and Hebrew poetry, I don't understand it, uh, and if you've got questions about it, just ask Eric. It's, it's a whole different grammatical style, and, and it's not about rhythm and rhyme, but it's really about just the form, okay? So it, it, there's no limericks in the Psalms in, in Hebrew, but it's the form. Um, now, why is there so much emphasis, a huge chunk right in the middle of the Bible, of poetry? 
And, and, and this is coming from, I, I'm a left-brained engineer, okay? I, I don't even read poetry, let alone write it, other than the Psalms, okay? So just bear with me, right? So it, it's, I have, I'm very challenged in the area of literary arts. And um, so why do we have a big emphasis? A very important part of the scripture is in this form of poetry, and I've been pondering that the last couple of weeks, and the conclusion I've come to is it's the language of the heart. So picture a scene here. Some guy decides on Valentine's Day he's going to propose to his girlfriend. Now, I'm just being <laughs> hypothetical. I have no, no particular reference for that. Just hypothetically, some guy decides he's going to propose to his girl on Valentine's Day. And so he sits down with her, and there's a candle on the table, and he's printed off the Alaska State Statutes governing marriage. And he reads them to her, okay? It's legitimate, right? It's the law. If he's a legalist, that would be a very appropriate thing to do. How's that going to go over? Hopefully, she's going to run, right? Okay. Let's say he busts out his laptop, and he has a spreadsheet, and he starts to make a case for the cost-benefit analysis of marriage versus living separately. Fail, Right? It would be a very appropriate time for him to wax poetically, right? Uh, in that setting, you want to speak from the heart. So there is different language, different expressions of language that have different applications. And we need, even people like me, they're a little challenged in this area, to learn how to engage the language of the heart more. My wife is on the other end of the spectrum. She's an artist, and she could just speak from the heart. And we've had like 42 years together of trying to impart some things to me, and she's still trying to teach me, okay? But I am learning, you know? Here's the deal. Speaking and receiving language of the heart is essential to being fully human. We're made in the image of God, and we see clearly in God's Word that God has passion, he has emotion, he has feelings. God is very, very passionate, and it comes through clearly in the Word. And if we're going to be true to the image we're made in, we have to get in touch with that passion. We have to have emotions and feelings and language that goes with it. Now, one thing that stands out in the Psalms, if you ever really read through them, is there's some pretty radical contrasts, some pretty abrupt mood swings that make you just wonder, what's going on? Let's look at a couple of them. Psalm 3, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there's no salvation for him and God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. We go from, like, um, you know, emo to a happy clappy, just like that, right? And um, let's look at Psalm 31. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. My life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. That sounds pretty um, despairing, right? I mean, that, that's like blues and emo squared, right? But blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged city. I had said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight, but you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. 
Here's what's going on. The contrasts that we see in so many of the Psalms are showing us two realities. One reality is human life in a world that's marred by sin. We live in a very imperfect world among very imperfect people. Me, the chief of them, right? I mean, we're all broken and bent by sin, and we live in a sinful world, and that is one reality. But the other reality is that God is on his throne. His kingdom is eternal. His kingdom is perfect. There is nothing unrighteous, unclean, or broken in his kingdom. And those are the two realities. Um, so I found a picture that gives us the image. This little guy is called a four-eyed fish. He doesn't actually have four eyes. He's got this unique split pupil that has a line right at the water line. And he feeds on bugs that are above the water, and he feeds on little fish that are below the water. And he's also in danger of, like, big birds above the water and, uh, you know, piranhas and things below the water, right? So he's got these unique eyes that allow him to cruise along on the surface and check out what's going on up here and look down here and see what's going on below the water line, right? And what we're seeing in the Psalms really is kind of this, like, looking down, okay, here's what's going on around me, and then looking up, God on the throne, over and over and over again. There's two realities going on, and we're embracing both. Now, here's the thing. The more I ponder it, the more I am convinced we have to honestly embrace both realities. If we deny God and the spiritual realm and we just live in a purely naturalistic way, what happens is all the philosophies that have been built over that have finally resulted in what's called nihilism, hopelessness. So we have uh, nowadays so many dystopian you know, books and movies, and we have such dark negative music, and it's nihilism. It's life void of God. If we only have that lower set of eyes looking down on the human reality, it looks pretty bleak, right? There is really no ultimate hope here. But the, the opposite of that extreme is if we're only looking up and pretending to just deny human reality, there's a real problem with that. Because we just say, oh, it's good, it's good. No matter what's going on around us, I'm happy, I'm blessed, I'm blessed with the best, you know. And all of a sudden, reality comes and just smacks us. And we're not prepared for it because we're not embracing the reality. So to really truly live fully and honestly in the presence of God, we want to embrace both realities. We live in a sinful world with all kinds of problems. Every day there are struggles, there are trials, there are problems around us. And all through it all, Jesus is on the throne and, and, and there's something better than we could ever imagine awaiting for us. Now, Jesus is our ultimate example of this. He came, the Son of God, and became the Son of Man and walked on this earth. And as a human, he experienced betrayal, sorrow, rejection. Isaiah says he was a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. Okay? Jesus did not deny human reality. He wept. He experienced the pain and the reality of human life, and he looked on brokenness. But while he did that, he walked in intimate relationship with the Father. He was led every day by the Holy Spirit and did what he did 
by the Spirit. He walked in perfect union with the Father. He was in the Spirit, but he was in touch with the human realm fully, emotionally engaged with life on this earth. That's how Jesus lived it. And um, he always spoke about this other kingdom. You know, we're here in this world, but there is a kingdom in my father's house, you know. So he's always pointing back up. So both of those realities are present in Jesus. Now, throughout all of the different expressions, um, there is one truth that is, we got to remember, front and center. It's a thread that winds through the whole book of Psalms. And here it is. We're going to read several of them. But good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call on you. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Now, I didn't have to work hard to find four verses. I had to work hard to limit myself to just what I could fit on one slide, okay? God is good, okay? And so throughout the Psalms, as we see all kinds of uh, language that is filled with passion about the brokenness and sinfulness of mankind, God is good. God is good. We have to remember that through all things. God is faithful. God is forgiving. He's a refuge, a shelter that we can run to in time of need. He is forgiving, and he is merciful, and he is faithful, and his faithful endures through all generations. You know, God is good. Now, not only does the Bible have multiple styles, uh, of literature, but the Psalms themselves, with 150 of them, have many, many different styles. Anybody read Psalm 19 and notice something about that one today that was a little different than what we've been reading? What was it? Yeah. Yeah. To me, the Psalm 19 kind of read like a proverb today. It was kind of very instructional, right? And And so it's just different. But Within the Psalms, there's uh, many variety of expressions because in order to really feel the full realm of human expression, we need more than one style, right? If it's all um, emo, we're going to get pretty depressed, right? And so we need this variety of, of expressions. And the reality is God is omnipotent. You know, he is like beyond our comprehension. And so... We need a lot of expressions to try to do it. You know, when, uh, when John uh, goes and gets the revelation and is seeing, he's like just pulling words out right and left. There's like a sea, and it's like gold, but it's clear as glass. But, it, you know, just like trying to say how awesome God is, right? Our human words kind of fail us, but we grasp for all the words we can. And the, the book of Psalms is kind of like that. So some of the different styles, you know, uh, and ways we can engage with the Psalms would be, like we sang tonight, Psalm 23. That's kind of the ultimate psalm of, of comfort. You know, when, when we're uh, struggling, when we're grieving, you know, it's just such beautiful imagery. He's my shepherd. He's leading and guiding me. He's taking care of me. I'm safe in his presence. No matter what is going on, walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to fear that because Why? He is with me. You know, I have his presence, and that transcends all of the threats that are around me and the hurt. So psalms of comfort, 
Psalms of repentance. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 51. And, um, you know, David got confronted by a prophet over grievous sin. And, and instead of denying it and running, he owned it. And Psalm 51 is this beautiful expression. I was sinful when I came out of the womb. I have sinned against God, and I have no excuse. You know, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. You know, just this desperate cry for God's mercy to be poured out. Praise. Let's look at a, a short passage of praise from Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. That's just a beautiful expression of praise, and, and the Psalms have over and over many of those. And when we come across those, you know, we don't want to just read it like we're, you know, doing a history assignment for a class at school or something. We want to really engage our heart and think about God is good. He's to be praised, you know, and just have our hearts drawn into that because God is good and he's worthy of praise. Um, here's one. Some of the Psalms are, are actually prophetic in nature. Uh, Psalm 22 is probably the most uh, starkly prophetic. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Okay. This is hundreds of years before the practice of crucifixion had even been invented. They've pierced my hands and feet, and they're casting lots to divide up my clothing. Like, it's just boom, you know. There's so much gospel truth in the Psalms, and we just want to look for it and see it. Now, the most common form, literary form of the Psalms is called a lament. And um, I would consider it kind of the deepest heart cry. Uh, lament is not a well-known uh, word in our common uh, modern American thing, but it's generally like an expression of sorrow, of loss, of grief, of pain, uh, kind of the negative human emotions. It's a lament. And it can be uh, regarding some huge, you know, major loss and event in our life, or it could be a relatively minor thing. Um, but generally, the reason why we don't lament very well is because we want to either uh, escape or deny or medicate, or maybe we'll just blow up and go on a little rant and then move on like it never happened, right? And that's kind of the American way of dealing with painful situations. But the biblical way... A true lament requires acknowledging the problem, not denying it, not getting loaded so we can just pretend like it isn't there, but actually acknowledging there is something wrong. My heart is hurting. I grieve for the loss of the person that I love. You know, that's a true lament where we're really pouring it out, but we're pouring out our heart before God and looking to him ultimately for comfort and restoration of what he has for us. Because in the gospel, there is always hope in Jesus Christ. Yeah. In the darkest circumstance, in the most negative events of our life, there is hope in Jesus Christ. And so a true lament is like just pouring out our heart and, uh, and, then, and then looking to the Lord. And uh, there's one Psalm, 88, that's just a pure lament. Like it just leaves you hanging and you got to read another chapter after you're done with that one. But all of the other laments 
always have that upturn, and they look to God. And so here's what I want to do. Let's just do this. We don't do it very often, but congregationally, let's read Psalm 13. It's short, and so it's going to be up there on the screen, and we can all read it in the same translation. And so let's just read this together, and, and here's what I want you to do. Don't just like, let's not have this be one of those, or God and Father, heaven, you know. <laughs> feel it, okay? Because we're talking about the heart, okay? So let's read this and just feel this, because you may not be there tonight, but there have been times in your life where you have felt the words of this song. All right, let's read it. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Let's just stop right there. Do you feel that? Now, maybe not at this moment, but can you relate? Has there been a time in your life where you were just like, man, God, did you forget what zip code I live in? You know, I've been there, you know, where I just think like, man, I can't hear from God. I think he forgot about me. Every day I get up hoping for something different, but it's worse instead of better. And where are you, Lord? And, and you know, we life is like that sometimes. There are times when we're just walking through some kind of dark tunnel and we can't see the light at the other end and we're just crying out, Lord, where are you? Now, if I left you hanging there, this is kind of a tough place to be. So let's finish the psalm, the last two verses. I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Even in the darkest circumstances we are at, the truth is that God has dealt good to us. He's been bountiful because the reality is we couldn't even measure what we actually deserve. As sinful human beings who have held up our fist to God from the time we were young, we deserve wrath beyond our comprehension. And instead, he has shown us mercy. And in the middle of any trying, painful circumstance, God has been good to us way more than we deserve. It's an expression of his grace and mercy. And so to trust in his love and rejoice in his salvation in the middle of a dark circumstance, that's not denial. That's taking that other set of eyeballs and looking up to the higher plane. Yes, right now I'm struggling. I think God has forgotten me. I can't see my way forward. And this is a dark, scary, painful time. But God, right? But God. God is on his throne. God loves me. God has a plan for my future. God is faithful. He is a refuge. He is dealing good with me, and I can trust in his unfailing love. Boom, we pull it up out of that lament. Now, I want to challenge you to take a little project on this week. And don't think of this as a homework assignment. Think of this as a growth opportunity. Okay. 
I would like you to write your own psalm. Now, let me just clarify. You're not writing scripture, okay? We're not going to, nobody's writing Psalm 153 in here, okay? Let's get over it. Our, our words are temporary. God's word is eternal. We don't add to it or take away from it. But the style of a psalm, a poetic expression, maybe you are having a banner week, and you could write a psalm of praise, okay? That would be just awesome. Maybe you have been aware of a really big area of sin in your life, and you could write a psalm of repentance along the line of Psalm 51. Maybe you're kind of scared right now and you need some comfort. You could write something along the lines of Psalm 23. Um, or maybe you're struggling right now and you could write a lament like Psalm 13 that we just read. No rules on the style. Now, the best thing I have found, I've, I've done this before, uh, a ministry that we were part of years ago uh, would do it, and we do these intensive weekend retreats, and that was one of the assignments, was as God was stirring up our hearts to write a personal expression. And what I'd like you to do is take a shot at doing it this week and bring it to house church next week, and we'll share our heartfelt expressions. And what really works good is to take a passage of Scripture to kind of frame it in. So you have a circumstance in your life, and that's a reality. But as you're reading through the Scripture, there's something that's speaking to you that God's got. So take that and, and uh, let that frame it. So I'm going to show you one I did a couple years ago. And again, uh, this, is not, this is an example not of a great poem, but a, uh, the fact that a very poetically challenged engineer can do this. Okay? So I was going through a challenging time, so I was kind of feeling the lament. And I read through the book of Habakkuk, which is a short minor prophet, that pretty much the whole book is a lament. Habakkuk has two complaints. He lodges against God, and he doesn't really like God's answer. And then in chapter 3, he kind of shifts gears. So Habakkuk chapter 3 starts off with these two verses. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath. Remember mercy. And so in this challenging time that I was going through, that passage really spoke to me. And so I wrote these words down. Lord, not only have I heard of your fame, but I have personally seen you do great and mighty works. Not only in my life, but in the lives of many people that I love. Time and time again, I've seen you move mountains, resolve impossible circumstances, and literally breathe life into dead people and places. I've seen you vanquish enemies that stood against your people and your purposes and transform victims into victorious sons and daughters. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. You are amazing and beyond comprehension. I am asking you to repeat them in this present day. Lord, in this time of great need, make your glory known. Many times I've felt the heaviness of your hand upon me. I have often resisted and chafed against your refining work wanting to take the easy path. But your word assures me that you discipline me as a father who loves me, and that while it's unpleasant at the time, it is for my good. So today I choose to embrace the work you're doing in me. I want to learn and grow so I can be more like Christ. I'm asking today that in your righteous judgment you remember mercy, because today and every day I'm in need of your mercy. So I just took the feelings that were going on in my heart and I took the scripture and let that be the frame 
And I wrote an honest, heartfelt expression of prayer. And it was a lament, but it was a cry to God. And, you know, it ain't great. Nobody's going to ask me to publish it in some book of poetry. But it's a genuine, honest, heartfelt expression to God. And so what I would like is to, you know, really encourage you, come next week with something. It can be very short, but something honest, an honest expression of your heart. And even throughout the week, if you're getting together with other brothers and sisters, just share some of these things because it's just kind of like we're opening up our heart at a deeper level to what's really going on, sharing our feelings and our heart cries. I'm going to read one more uh, from that same retreat that I wrote mine at. I had um, become close friends with a career soldier, and um, this man had been in the Army 26 years, had been deployed, I think, like 10 times, uh, multiple times had spent many months at Walter Reed Hospital being put back together after uh, serious injuries. Um, and um, he'd been part of just some really, really ugly combat, and it had traumatized him. And um, we went through this retreat together, and God was really getting a hold of his heart and dealing with him. And um, so he wrote this beautiful psalm, way, way, way better uh, writer than I am. And, uh, and he, he titled it A Night Psalm. And so he gave me a copy of it, and I really treasure this because I was part of this experience of watching him do this. Oh, Lord, my journey has left me weak and weary. Many battles have left my heart and spirit scarred to match my flesh. I have been blackened with the smoke of war, and my sins have darkened my soul. O oh Lord, my wars with man are drawing to an end, yet another battle rages on with the dragons within. I am engaged with an enemy I cannot defeat alone, and I am haunted by the horror of my transgressions. O oh Lord, heal my broken and battered body so that my knee will bend and my head will bow. Let my arms be raised and my heart be open so I might receive the Holy Spirit and he may dwell within me. And cleanse me of my sin that I may know peace. O oh Lord, guide my quest to be your humble servant. Let my victories not honor me, but glorify you. Open the gates of my fortress that I may receive salvation and grant me courage to lead others out of darkness home to your eternal light. And I just watched over the weekend as the Lord brought these feelings together and he recorded them and, and, and I had the, the privilege of just sitting with him in, in a small room with a few men and he he got down and he did. He took a knee and he lifted his hands and surrendered to Jesus and just took all of that pain and brokenness and everything and just surrendered to the Lord. And um, so I treasure the fact that he gave me this psalm that he wrote because it, it's a very beautiful picture of the work of God in his heart in that time. So, um, again... This is not a graded assignment, okay? Just be honest. Be real. But bring something. Bring expression. If you're reading the Psalms this week, maybe some of them will inspire you. And like I said, it could be repentance. It could be praise. It could be a lament. Where are you at in your life and what's God dealing with and where is he speaking to you? All right, I want to close with a, a look at Psalm 16. And uh, one of the points that I haven't, hit on as explicitly, but just that coming back to the first statement, all of the Bible, all verses of the Old Testament are ultimately pointing us to the fulfillment in Jesus Christ, the gospel. So Psalm 16, 
Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Just think of the New Testament truth that's in that, right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none who do good, no, not one. But every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Everything good I have, so I run to the Lord who is my refuge. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. Throughout the New Testament, we see over and over again the challenge to reject idolatry, to reject the things of this world that want to take a place in our heart that only belongs to God. And the psalmist is just recognizing that and crying out to that. I am not going to participate in the idolatry that wants to take me away. And we don't have little statutes on street corners and places where people are slaying animals and, and performing sacrifices to idols. But we have our own form of that. And it's materialism and it's pleasure and it's you name it. Okay, we've got our own forms of idolatry. But the challenge of the gospel is to turn from those things because they will never satisfy Right? And anybody that's ever gone down the path of addiction knows you're deluded for so long thinking that next one is just going to be, now I'm going to peek out. You know, I'm going to have that, you know, but it's never enough. And we're chasing it, we're chasing it. Whatever that behavior is that we're trying to find satisfaction in, we will never find it. Only in God will we find satisfaction. The Lord is my chosen portion of my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Now, this is where we really need to have those eyes looking up. Because if we truly believe that God is my portion and he holds my lot, then we can honestly say the boundary lines are in pleasant places. The Apostle Paul said, I have learned the secret of being satisfied, whether I am rich or poor, whether I'm crushing it or I'm being beaten. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The Lord is my portion, right? So there's the gospel truth coming forth. I can say with integrity that the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places and I live in a place of a beautiful inheritance because God is my portion and he holds my future. That makes me secure. Go on to verse 7. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I shall not be shaken. The Lord instructs me. You know, in the, in the upper room at the Last Supper, Jesus told his apostles, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And what's he going to do? He's going to instruct you, right? He's going to be your teacher. He's going to be your counselor. He's going to be your guide. He's going to reveal truth to you. We live in the fulfillment of this. This is prophesying that the Lord is the one who's going to counsel us even in the night. How many of us have those experiences where the Lord even meets with us in the night? And sometimes we have a dream or something and you wake up in the morning and you have a different perspective because God has met with us. God counsels us. In response, the psalmist says, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. 
for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. There is a promise for us in Christ. If we are in Christ, we will not perish. Our flesh will pass away. This thing that the lower set of eyes is looking upon, it passes away. Everything on this earth will ultimately pass. But God will keep me eternally. I will live eternally in his presence. You make known to me the path of life. Didn't Jesus say, narrow is the path, leads to life? But he's come and shown us the path. You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We get to experience glimpses of this here on this earth. When we get before the Lord and we really sense his presence, you know, uh, we were... um, it was just a day of chaos, you know, and, and I came in here just like frantic and nothing was working right. And you know, when we went down to pray before the service, just like I, I was honest to the people who were down there, I was like, I'm not doing so good, you know, I really need Jesus, you know. Then we got up here, and we started praying and we started worshiping and it was like, you know, all that other stuff doesn't really matter. Jesus is here. I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit, you know. It's okay. This is a good place to be. And we get glimpses of that, the pleasure of being in the presence of God. But all that is is just an appetizer. It's just a foretaste of what lies ahead. What he has in store for us, no mind can conceive. No eye has seen, no ear has heard that. No mind can even fathom the glorious riches at his right hand forevermore. So we're going to close with a couple of verses from Revelation and just give a picture of what that's like to be at his, in his presence, experiencing pleasure forevermore. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look. God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. That's what awaits us. Now, the reality is in this life, we will experience grief and pain and sorrow because that's part of living the human experience, and we acknowledge that honestly. But the greater truth that supersedes that is that if we are in Christ, we've been given a promise of eternity in his presence where all pain, suffering, sorrow is wiped away forever, and we just experience the joy of being in his presence. That promise is represented in what we're going to take here with communion, Um, there will be an endless feast, the wedding supper of the Lamb. And our um, invitation, our, our ticket to get into the wedding supper of the Lamb is what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He gave his body and it was broken. He shed his blood and it was poured out for the remission of our sins so that we could come eternally into the presence of God. And that's what this represents. 
And so what we want to do here is just um, no rush, and, and we don't want this to be some kind of formal thing, but just meditate on that truth, that Jesus has invited us to spend eternity with us. And, and that is the ultimate truth that trumps every other experience we could possibly have. And he has paid the way through his broken body and shed blood. And so when we take and break off a little piece of that bread and dip it in the cup, it's to remind us of the debt that's been paid on our behalf, our past is wiped out, but also to remind us of the glory that awaits us, that because he has done that, we can walk every day on this earth in his presence, and when our time is up here, we go and we're with him for eternity, where there is joy and pleasure without ceasing in his presence. So just uh, kind of however we're going to sing a song, and we're just going to take our time, and, and however you need to process before God, and when you feel we're not going to do this together as a group, just come up and, and just acknowledge that reality. And if you've never really made that commitment that you're in Christ, if you're not a Christian, we don't want you to feel pressured to do something. But the table is open, and it would be a really good time just to say, I am done pursuing other gods, as the psalmist said. I want Jesus, and acknowledge that through embracing what he's put here for us. So, Father, we thank you. For your word, but we thank you even more for Jesus Christ, the living word, who came, took on a body so that he could pay a debt that we could never pay. And we don't want to make light of that in any way, shape, or form, but we want to be honest and truthful and look at how amazing it is that the Son of God, sinless, perfect Jesus Christ, became sin so that us broken and sinful people could become perfect sons and daughters of the living God and to spend eternity with you. So we thank you for that glorious truth and we celebrate that now. In Jesus' name, amen.